Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website and give them a call, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about the year in review. We'll also visit with Jim McTagg. He's a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books. His latest two are Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. It is December the 27th, and on this day in 1944, as the World War II dragged on, President Franklin D. Roosevelt ordered his Secretary of War to seize properties belonging to Montgomery Ward, the company, because the company refused to comply with a labor agreement. In an effort to avert strikes in critical war support industries, Roosevelt created the National War Labor Board in 1942. The board negotiated settlements between management and workers to avoid shutdowns in production that might cripple the war effort. During the war, the well-known retailer and manufacturer Montgomery Ward had supplied the Allies with everything from tractors to auto parts to workmen's clothing, items deemed as important to the war effort as bullets and ships. However, Montgomery Ward Chairman Sewell Avery refused to comply with the terms of three different collective bargaining agreements with the United Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. They hammered out between 1943 and 44. In April 1944, after Sewell uh, refused to second board order, Roosevelt called out the Army National Guard to seize the company's main plant in Chicago. Sewell himself had to be carried out of his office by National Guard troops. By December of that year, Roosevelt was fed up with Sewell's obstinacy and disrespect for the government's authority. The uber-capitalist Sewell's favorite insult was to call someone a new dealer, a direct reference to uh, Roosevelt's Depression-era policies. On December 27th, Roosevelt ordered the Secretary of War to seize Montgomery Ward's plants and facilities in New York, Michigan, California, Illinois, Colorado, and Oregon. In his announcement that day, Roosevelt emphasized that the government would not tolerate any interference with war production in this critical hour. He issued a stern warning to labor unions and industry management alike. Strikes in wartime cannot be condoned, whether they are strikes by workers against their employers or strikes by employers against the government. Sewell took the flight to the federal court but lost. For much of the 20th century, Montgomery Ward, founded in uh, 1872, reigned as one of the country's largest department store and mail-order retail chains. Heavy competition from Walmart, Target, and similar discount stores forced the company to close all of its stores in 2000, though it retains a catalog and Internet presence. Creative destruction, as they say. But you have to love the feisty Sewell uh, in his fight against the government and... Uh, uh, the free economy. FDR overstepped his bounds in several ways and several times, but nevertheless, an interesting story in, in the history of the United States. 
Florida hit a new record in the pandemic for the second consecutive day as the state reported 32,850 new COVID-19 cases Saturday, according to statistics from the Federal Center for Disease Control and Prevention. One day earlier, 31,758 new cases were reported, breaking Florida's previous record of 27,688 set in August as the Delta strain of the coronavirus spread across the state and the union. Uh, the current surge is the result of the spread of a highly contagious Omicron variant. Since December 21st, Florida has reported 20,000 or more COVID cases, according to the CDC's statistics. By comparison, on December the 1st, the state had fewer than 3,000 new cases reported. Medical officials say it appears people are infected with Omicron var variant are suffering fewer severe symptoms, but they said it's too, too soon to be certain of its effects since the variant surfaced only last month. I think it's, uh, <laughs> we certainly know South Africa, they're basically saying it's no big deal. They went on with life as usual. Of course, that's the first place that broke out. I think we should probably uh, <laughs> have less fear and more sensible science involved in making these decisions because a lot of people are greatly overacting. In fact, uh, the Miami Hurricanes have backed out of the Sun Bowl over COVID-19 concerns. The school announced it would not be playing in the Sun Bowl on uh, Sunday night. It was set to take place on Washington State against Washington State after a 7-5 season. And here's a quote, During the number of, due to the number of COVID-19 cases impacting our roster, we do not have enough student-athletes to safely compete, and the health and safety of our student-athletes will always be our top priority, uh, said Jennifer Strawley, Miami's Deputy Director of Athletics and Chief Operating Officer in a statement. The Sun Bowl is hoping to find a replacement team to face Washington State. The Gator Bowl did something similar with Texas A&M pulled out last week and will now pit Rutgers against the previously scheduled Wake Forest. Two other bowl games, the Military Bowl and the Fenway Bowl, were canceled earlier Sunday because of COVID uh, themselves. So that's kind of interesting. It just makes me wonder, all these athletes, are they asymptomatic? And if they are, why aren't they playing football? In other words, uh, apparently, I think we could probably move, move on with these issues, uh, life as usual, because the symptoms of this new variant are the symptoms of a co common cold. Well, the FDA on Wednesday authorized the first COVID-19 antiviral pill in the United States. The Pfizer Paxlovid will be prescribed for use in adults and children 12 years of age and older who have mild and moderate virus symptoms as a result of severe disease or hospitalization, according to the Food and Drug Administration. Experts warn that despite the first antivirus pill for COVID-19 promising protection for those at risk of severe disease, Pfizer's or Merck's new medications may not be safe for everyone. One of the two drugs uh, apparently has a severe or life-threatening interactions with commonly used medications. So even with these new medications, you have to be awfully careful. And by the way, a 49-year-old Carlos Tejada, a New York Times deputy Asia editor, died of a heart attack uh, last week, mere hours after getting a COVID booster shot. How sad is that? I talked to my doctor about this, and he said, yeah, deaths are common with uh, vaccines. Not common, but uh, they do occur. And uh, But the number of deaths, I think, 
quite frankly, I'm concerned about the number of deaths and uh, negative reactions to this vaccine are not be properly reported. I don't think we know all the facts about what's going on with this, but more evidence that perhaps this is a problem with 49-year-old Carlos Tejada uh, dying one day, hours after getting a COVID booster shot. Florida's new Surgeon General Joseph Lopato has issued a statewide public service announcement in support of common sense COVID prevention strategies such as optimizing your vitamin D, staying active, eating nutrient-dense uh, foods, and boosting your immune system with supplements. I couldn't agree more. Florida's health, healthierthanyou.org website now urges Floridians to take your health care provider, talk to your health care provider about how certain supplements or foods containing vitamins and minerals might help you boost your immune system, such as zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, and quercetin. Well, quercetin. These are well-known supplements that have been shown to have a positive impact on your COVID-19 risk. The Surgeon General also supports the use of monoclonal antibodies in acute cases and as prevention in high-risk patients who have been exposed to COVID-19. Available treatment locations can be found on FloridaHealthCOVID19.gov. And I'll repeat that, FloridaHealthCOVID19.gov. Physicians should use clinical judgment. Uh, Florida Health uh, even highlights the emerging treatments such as uh, Fluvoxamine and inhaled budesone. It, uh, and importantly, Florida Health now states that physicians should use their clinical judgment when uh, recommending treatment options for patients' individualized care and needs. This may include emergency treatment options with appropriate patient-informed consent, including off-label use as part of the clinical trial. I would hope that we'd take another look here in Florida of ivermectin as well as uh, hydroxychloroquine. These are two drugs that had some uh, real impact, off-label drugs that had real impact on COVID-19 and other parts of the world, and we should give them a try here. Even though Fauci and uh, his minions have uh, outlawed the use of these drugs uh, when it comes to COVID-19, uh, sadly, because he wants to continue the emergency use of the COVID-19 vaccine at least in my opinion. The world's largest and most successful space telescope rocketed away Saturday on a high-stakes quest to behold light from the first stars and galaxies and scour the universe for hints of life. Uh, NASA's Jim Webb Space Teles uh, Telescope soared from French Guiana on South Africa's northeastern coast, riding a European airing rocket into Christmas morning sky. What an amazing Christmas present, said Thomas Zerbuchen, and NASA's science mission chief, the $10 billion observatory hurtled towards its destination one million miles away. That's more than four times uh, the distance from the moon. It'll take a month to get there and another five months before its infrared eyes are ready to start scanning the cosmos. First, the telescope's uh, enormous mirror and sun shield need to unfurl, and they'll be unfolded Origami style, origami style to fit into the rocket's nose cone. Otherwise, the observatory won't be able to peer back in time 13.7 billion years as anticipated with a mere $100 billion uh, million years of universe forming Big Bang. This is just amazing stuff, incredible. NASA Administrator Bill Nelson called Webb 
a time machine that will provide better understanding of our universe and our place in it, who we are, what we are, and the search that's eternal. We're going to discover incredible things that will never be imagined, he said. He cautioned there still could be innumerable things that have to be worked out. Now, apparently this uh, observatory, once it's unfolded, it's going to be as big as a football field or the size of a tennis court. If it uh, goes well, the sun shield will open it three days after liftoff, taking at least five days to unfold and lock into place. It's an amazing thing, and uh, we're going to learn a lot more about our universe as a result of this uh, issue, uh, uh, mission. Incredible stuff in outer space. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Higher Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way towards keeping seniors connected in the community and with each other. Serving all of Collier County, the Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding resources and services that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers, empowering seniors to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Programs are offered free of charge in a safe, welcoming space and focus on fellowship, enrichment and wellness, continuing education and meeting basic needs through offerings such as daily hot lunch, health screenings, and counseling services. So whether you're looking for referrals to services or a vibrant place to make friends, enjoy community support, or learn something new, Collier Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center is your Collier Senior Center. To learn more about programs and services, please visit CollierSeniorResources.org. That's CollierSeniorResources.org. Or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4534. That's 252-3534. Welcome back. 
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. I hope you check it out. You can download the app at choicesocial.us at the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Mark Shulman. Mark is uh, an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So let's talk about what's happened in the last year. I, by the way, uh, it's kind of a slow news week, if you will, and that's as a pattern, I think. It's kind of interesting yeah, how the worst... Every year that happens, every year Christmas week, it's very quiet. No one wants to do anything. You know, the, you know, the, the percentage of the world that a Christian is very high, and everyone else jo- joins in. So the reality is it's always the I think every year we have this, that it's a very slow, slow news, news cycle. It's true. I guess it's because people fold their tents and go back and spend time with their families and stay out of mischief. <laughs> right. If they do that all the time, we'd be a fine world, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, fine, fine, fine world. So, uh, Mark, I thought it might be interesting for us to talk about uh, what's happened in the world in the last year. And probably uh, smart to start off with uh, something that's affected the entire globe pretty substantially, and that's uh, coronavirus. Absolutely. I mean, it's certainly, this is year two of coronavirus in the world. It was the year that everyone thought we would say goodbye to coronavirus because it was the year that the vaccines arrived. Um, And for a while, it was looking fairly good. And it's certainly been a good year economically in most of the world, actually, because People went back to work. There's, even with rising cases in various points, there's less fear of the unknown. In other words, it's, there wasn't there isn't the panic that existed um, the first time around, which is good. Um, but we had, you know, going back towards, I guess it was uh, last summer, the late spring into the summer, it was looking very good, and the numbers were down all over the world, and we sort of thought the worst was behind us. And then came the Delta variant. And the Delta variant swept through the world um, pretty quickly, uh, caused devastations in different parts of the world at different times. In the U.S., it hit particularly hard um, the south uh, at first before it started migrating to north. It seemingly, the coronavirus seems to be seasonal in the extent that um, as people spend more and more time indoors, um, it becomes more of a problem. So in the south, where people were indoors because of air conditioning, it was problematic in the summer. And then as the as the world got cooler, or the, as you know, as fall came, um, it migrated more up north, where people were indoors because it was getting cold. And the people out south were having beautiful weather and were outdoors a lot more. So it's an interesting factor that seems to be the case. Yeah, you but know, Mark. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned because right now, well, here in Florida, we're experiencing a, a record in uh, new cases, up to 33,000 new cases in Florida yes- yesterday, setting new records. Uh, the point being is that we're seeing uh, lines around the block in order to get tested in places like New York. And it just makes me wonder if perhaps we haven't been conditioned to in our fear response. In other words, this uh, coronavirus is being dismissed in uh, South Africa is not virulent or not particularly, uh, while it's contagious, it's not creating a lot of problems in terms of uh, public health. But here, we're, ex- we're just assuming the worst. 
Well, let me just finish the narrative for two seconds because it's important to understand that what's happening now is now that this additional wave with the Omicron that we, we the Delta was beginning to recede, and then we have this new wave with Omicron. There is some truth to what you say. On the other hand, there's so many unknowns. Um, South Africa, um, pretty young, young, um, young population, and uh, fairly highly vaccinated at this point. Um, we're seeing an increase in hospitalizations now, both in Great Britain um, and in the New York area particularly. And we're seeing an increase in hospitalizations in New York of kids. So in New York, the number of kids hospitalized has increased fourfold in the last week. Mm. Still a rather low, low number in absolute terms, but the numbers, you know, a fourfold increase is not something that's easy to, to ignore. Um, so we just don't know, and that, that, that's really the problem. In other words, there are so many unknowns, and of course the problem always is if this Omicron is less virulent, which it seems to be, uh, so let's say it's 20% less less virulent than than the Delta or or the original. I'm not sure which one we're, we're basing it on, but it infects three times as many people. We still have back to the same problem of hospitals that are overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Now, we're lucky at this point. We're starting to have treatments that seem to work. We have the new Pfizer pill um, that is being that was approved this past week. It's not available in large enough numbers, but basically, if you get it within the first three or four days of having symptoms the chances of being hospitalized drop by 90%. So, so we start have, we, we're starting to have real treatments that have been tested. Um, but the problem is, again, the, the problem are hospitals. The hospitals, can they, can they take another surge of people? Because even if, no, if, even if very few people die, which let's hope that's the case, an awful lot of people are going to be hospitalized. And yeah. that's the other problem. They begin to squeeze out the normal cases, the, those, you know, heart attacks, cancer, and, and all sorts of other things that people need, need care for. And, and you have a staff that's just exhausted. Yeah. You know, my future son-in-law is, is, is an ER doctor in his last year in residency in Connecticut. And, you know, this is just, just you know, this, this extra wave. He's been doing this now for two years. And it's Mark, really, really... I, I mean, I know you're, you're aware of the cases that have occurred where, uh, for example, the... A woman took uh, a case to court. She wanted her, I think it was her husband, if I'm not mistaken, to be treated with ivermectin. He was di- on his deathbed, and, she, and uh, the court said, well, yeah, go ahead and use it, and uh, miraculously, he recovered in just a few days. There's been other cases like that in the United States. In other words, uh, ivermectin is verboten. So is oxychloroquine, quite frankly, here in the United States, as use as a treatment or therapeutic for uh, COVID-19. Uh, it seems to me that well, that's that's a vast overreaction. Instead of uh, using and also remdesivir, which is apparently recommended, is uh, very uh, problematic in terms of public health. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 varied. Obviously, one of the problems with, with um, I mean, what what clearly has been working against um, all variants have been these um, um, fluid injections. Um, but it's less; it's more problematic with Omicron, from what they're saying. Look, you're you're in a situation. That there are two things going on in the United States simultaneously, which is, um, and in the world actually, it's not the United States; it's the whole world. On one hand, you have uh, you have uncertainty, right? There's a level of uncertainty. You know, we we expect science to be certain. Um, at least that's the expectation we always have. I mean, look, on a certain level, it is certain. You you look at you know the the um, 
recent space missions, whether it's SpaceX or the launch of the, that telescope uh, two days ago. Yeah. Science has to be has to be perfect in order for these things to work, right? Right. In other words, if you can't have any mistakes, you can't have a bounce. It can't be, you know. But and so we have that expectation from science that they're at this point they have, they have all the answers, and then something comes along that no one has all the right answers. Everyone is sort of running, trying to guess, trying to get the most information, trying to play catch up. But in the meantime, a public policy has to be made, and it's very very difficult. And then we learn something new. People say, you see, science is all wrong. Well, science is not necessarily all wrong. It's just learning more information, and science has to change with the new information that comes in. So you have that on one hand. Then you have all sorts of sources of of information that that have no 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 basis in truth that float around out there. And I'm not, and, and there's all sorts. It doesn't make a difference what it is, but there's all sorts of information out there that has no basis in legitimate legitimate proof, never appeared in any scientific journal, it's never been peer-reviewed, it's never been done any of the way that we've accepted science to be. And then the people who believe some of that stuff say, it's, it's a conspiracy, the scientists don't want. But there's no conspiracy going on. Science has its methods that have worked and brought the civilization to where we are today. Without science, you know, of some form or another, we'd still be living in, in huts. You know, I mean, that's the reality. Well, everything, that we, everything that we take for granted in life today whether it's the cars we drive, or it's the planes we fly on, and everything in between is a result of scientific advances that took place over the last 400 years. Well, you, you and I, Mark, have talked about uh, confirmation bias and the fact that uh, when you have a certain point of view, you look for information that supports that point of view. Uh, I'm concerned that uh, certain factions of science have been corrupted by whether it's money or power, I'm not sure which, but irrespective, I, th I think he, to have a healthy uh, skepticism about what you're reading coming from science like CDC or from about Tony Fauci, I think makes a lot of sense. I disagree with that. I think the science that we've seen corrupted has been some of the corruption that has taken place by or the first of all, it was the, the cigarette industry that literally corrupted certain certain scientists. They weren't the mainstream, but certain scientists, and we got all sorts of reports that clouded the situation for a number of years, that it wasn't sure that, that cigarettes caused cancer. It wasn't absolute. We've had the same thing sometimes by the oil industry, but I think the mainstream science, I'm sorry, I, I, I believe, I mean, I, I believe in mainstream, mainstream science. I don't believe they're, I believe they're fallible. I think they make mistakes. But I don't think there's any conspiracy going on or even any major um, – the, the confirmation bias is only the confirmation bias that comes from previous facts. And they're biased to the previous facts that they're built on. Now, sometimes some of them don't think outside the box enough. I think the CDC and particularly the FDA, not so much the CDC, the FDA has been slow. I think the FDA has been overly cautious. I mean, it goes all the way back to the mistakes that were made with thalidomide, I think that's the word you, the, the term for the, the pills that were approved in the 1960s that were causing um, pregnant women to give birth to terribly deformed babies. I don't know if you remember all of that. I certainly do. So, so that, that was the last huge mistake made by the FDA, and ever since they've been super cautious, which is correct. In other words, being cautious is the correct response. However, when you're dealing with a worldwide pandemic, sometimes you need to move faster and because events move much faster than, 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 than you'd like. So, you know, you always have the bureaucracy and the inability to make decisions quickly, and that goes across the board all over the world. In other words, 
the, the bureaucracies of the world are not designed to move quick. Yeah. Um, so. You know, I, I guess the the uh, the, the uh, what I've learned here over the weekend and reading this. Uh, 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 the real Anthony Fauci is that there's two types of medicine. One type is miasma, apparently. It's been around forever, and the whole notion is that if we have clean water, clean air, uh, good food, that uh, it'll help our immune systems and it can keep us healthy. The other side is the magic bullet theory, and that's what we're kind of operating on now, is that uh, if there's a bad a microbe out there or a bad molecule, we need to find a cure for it and have some sort of a vaccine to deal with it. Uh, I, I think probably a combination of the two is wise, but unfortunately, uh, we're putting all the emphasis on the magic bullet and not enough on uh, overall health. I don't know about that. I mean, I think, there, look, there needs to be more done in terms of overall health, uh, obesity, uh, pollutions in the air. Uh, but, you know, listen, you pollutions in the air, the United States still has coal-burning uh, plants and, you know, a fair percentage of them are coal burning. You can we would leave aside the whole issue of global warming. Now. Let's not talk, let's not talk about that. But the fact is they exude pollutants. Uh, so we're not willing, you know, cars. Cars are one of the single biggest pollutants out there. Um, uh, I, you know, I'm sitting in Tel Aviv at the moment. Once a year, uh, there's no cars going or moving in Tel Aviv, and that's on the Day of Atonement. No cars move. And the air quality improves tremendously. Yeah. Now, are we willing to make those sacrifices? No, we're not. So it's really complicated. You know, we, we, we live in a world where we eat, um, eat all sorts of products that have been way too, um, uh, oh, what's the correct word here? The products that have been- Processed. Uh, processed, excuse me, that word was, was, I was missing that word, processed foods. We live in a world where we eat things that are not healthy uh, too much sugar, too across the board. But in any we want medicine to fix us, right? Yes. To get diabetes, we don't want to just die. We rely on doctors and and uh, prescriptions and uh, diet specific that they give us at that point, and insulin if we need it. Because just because we get diabetes, we shouldn't have to die, right? Even if it, even if it was caused by the fact we had too much sugar as a, as a kid or as a young adult or whatever it might be. I, I guess uh, I, I agree with everything you're saying, Mark, except for the fact that sometimes uh, some of the diseases that we're dealing with now are the result of the cures that we've created. Possibly. Uh, possibly. Listen, one of the things that's interesting, um, a theory that I think is probably true, is in the last 10, 20 years, we've been obsessed about cleanliness, right? To the extent that we remove any, any microbe that a child might get. Guess what? He doesn't develop a good immune system because he's never come in contact with any dirt. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm sure when you and I would grow up, we played in dirty sandboxes. We did all sorts of things that kids today just don't do. Right. So, yes, it's complicated. It is complicated indeed. So, Mark, I, I, at the risk of, uh, of course, this is such an interesting topic and an important topic, but there's other things that have happened in the last year. I thought it might be interesting Absolutely. to explore and, and some of the things that are just highlights for world news in the last uh, in the last year. Okay, so let's let's try to go. We'll do this at fifty thousand feet. So, let's start with Russia. Russia has continued its um, creating as much havoc as it can uh, wherever it can. 
Uh, the big story as we go into 2022 is really going to be what's going to happen with Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And that's been a story for the last few months, and it continues to be a story. And we do not know how this story is going to end. Um, let's turn the globe a little bit, and of course we go to China. In China, we have the similar situation with Taiwan. Um, China and Russia are very different in one real way. Russia has a GNP that's smaller than Italy's. Uh, China, on the other hand, is a GNP that's almost the size of the United States. So there's a huge difference in, the, in, in that sense. In other words, China has the economic power to project its power and build up its power and be a true rival. Russia, it's mostly, it's mostly buster, plus having a lot of nuclear weapons sort of helps the buster, let's put it that way. Yep. Um, but the Chinese are a significant problem, and we have not really figured out what their end game is or not. In other words, is it all about Chinese pride? Uh, do they have any real um, goals beyond, you know, beyond what they define as China? We don't really know. Uh, they want to be respected as a world power, and we're going to need to find a way to live with them, but also maintain the fact that, that Taiwan hopefully will remain free, and that's going to be a, a real challenge going forward. And I think um, that will be, you know, that that has been the main challenge of the last. Um, last administration, this yep. administration, probably the next administration. So, Mark, uh, just uh, in that regard, uh, just uh, maybe a comment, the underbelly of uh, financial underbelly of China right now, there has been an exposed weakness with the uh, real estate debacle that's occurred there. Uh, how strong, financially strong, is China? Okay, so China is obviously not as strong as they'd like us to believe. On the other hand, the reality is they produce and export tremendous numbers of products. Mm-hmm. Their underlying economy is very, very strong. The fact that they've over-leveraged themselves, that can be a real problem. But on the other hand, uh, they have the manufacturing capability and the ability to compete in the world to basically, you know, the companies may go bankrupt, but the country won't. Uh, it may have some severe issues and there'll be problems, but I don't think we have. To, I don't think we can assume that the financial difficulties will uh, change the general course of China. Remember, a big difference. You know, we. Back in the 80s, we thought Japan was going to take over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Japan is a country of 80 million. China is a country of a billion. On the other hand, China has the same problem Japan has, except it's getting even more worse, is the demographic problem. And that's one of the key issues. The demographic problem in China, they do not, they have every single week less people enter the workforce as leave the workforce in terms of ages. So their population is aging out. It's going to be a, a challenge for them uh, to maintain their growth with a smaller and smaller population. Uh, we'll see what robots can do and other things to, to fill that in. The Japanese have done that to some extent. Um, look, I don't think we should fear China, but we should look at China as a significant rival and act accordingly. It's um, kind, of, kind of interesting in this age of, of globalism. Uh, we, you and I have talked about the uh, tax that's uh, agreed upon among many nations, now Ireland, uh, with a 15% minimum corporate tax and so forth. In other words, kind of uh, tilting towards cooperation and agreement. As And you've used the word competition. China is our competitors. Uh, the two seem to be uh, a- a- adverse concepts. Well, yes and no. So, I mean, look. The, re- the rest of the world also sees China as their competitor. It's yeah. not like the United States alone. Most countries see China as their competitor because Chinese goods are cheaper, have been cheaper, and therefore have hurt domestic industries all over the world. Plus, you know, if you look at 
you know, leaving aside who's the president and who's the Congress, and et cetera, but if you look at the United States and look at China, if you just wanted to choose one country to be friends with, you generally wouldn't pick China. Mm-hmm. So by and large, people want the United States to succeed in this global global challenge. Um, they, you know, the global agreements, um, look, the Biden administration has done fairly well in rebuilding global trust, and one of these areas is, of course, these tax agreements, um, because you really don't want a situation where, you know, the rush to the, to the bottom, so to speak. I think the same thing needs to be done in the United States states as well, where, you know, each state tries to compete with the others by giving each, each you know, company a better and better deal, and all what you end up doing is someone finally gets the factory but gets no money because it basically isn't going to tax the, country, the company at all. Uh, so that's another. That's part of the cha- part of the general challenges, shall we say? Yeah. Um, but um, look, it's very hard to judge the world today, year two of Corona, and see where we're going. The crystal balls are very foggy. Let's put it that way. Um, and until the Corona is gone from our lives, one way or the other, it's going to be hard to see what what happens. Just yeah. remember one thing about the Chinese: they've taken the position of zero Corona for better or for worse. It's not at all clear they're going to manage that with Omicron, but basically when there's one case, they basically put 17 million people, which they've done now, into a, under quarantine, uh, something that no other country in the world really can do, but they are doing it. Uh, will it work? We'll see. Yep. Um, but it's cut off China to a large degree. We, we, we know less about what's going on in China these days than we used to because of the fact that there's so little travel going on. Well, uh, Mark, since we're at 50,000 feet, uh, maybe uh, cl- some closing comments on the viability of the European Union. Uh, are they going to make it? I think they are, actually. I think the fact that Britain pulled out um, has given them a certain, uh, a certain oomph. Again, they have a problem with, some of the, uh, with Poland in particular. Poland wants the money but doesn't want the rules of the European Union. I think the European Union will become maybe a little bit closer to the common market that it, that it was. And I think those who wanted true, total European integration, I think that's not likely to happen. I think there's enough pushback, enough nationalist feelings. Uh, on the other hand, I, after I just finished saying that, there's a tremendous divide by age. If you ask people under 30 uh, what what is their nationality? The first thing they'll say is a European, and then afterwards a German, a Frenchman, an Italian, whatever it would be. Mm-hmm. People 35 and above will first say their nationality, Italian, German, French, or whatever, first, and then a European. So that's another interesting question that, that time, you know, as these people age up, will they change their views, or will they impact the overall view of the country? Right. Would you rate the uh, Brexit as a success or failure at this point? I don't know if you can rate it either way. Right now, it hasn't brought much. Let, let's put it this way: it hasn't been an abject failure, but it hasn't had much of a positive impact either. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, a disaster hasn't occurred to Great Britain, although it's had some challenges. But we haven't seen any positive impact of Brexit either. Right. So it, it's hard to call it a success. It depends. You know, it depends on what you're balancing it. It is success in the fact that that Britain's economy has not folded and hasn't, you know, collapsed on itself. So that's successful. And there are uh, complicating uh, factors such as the leadership currently. In other words, uh, things get very complicated because new decisions have been made, new policies set, and uh, uh, the question is what, uh, w- which is which is the cause and which is the effect. So it's kind of interesting. Absolutely. 
it's all because one thing it is, it remains an interesting world. What can I say? Absolutely. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of uh, HistoryCentral.com. I encourage you to visit the very robust website, HistoryCentral.com. Good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, as usual, we got more to talk about than we have time to, to talk about it, but I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Happy New Year to you, and thank you yep. so much for joining happy, us. Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. Have a wonderful New Year. Let's hope it's a healthy and successful one for everyone. Absolutely. Thank you, Mark. All right, coming up, we're going to be uh, visiting with Jim McTagg. He's uh, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. One of the programs is creating policies to get people off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, uh, thefga.org. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of uh, several books. His two latest are Great Murder Mysteries located in Washington, D.C. Uh, the first is Father the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you for having me. Always, always a pleasure, Jim. So uh, here we are winding up with coming up on January the 20th, uh, celebrating or recognizing, I guess, the the first complete year of uh, the Biden presidency. I'd love to get your insights and thoughts about the direction of the com- country, what's going on, and uh, the effectiveness or efficacy of his leadership. Well, you know, uh, he suffered a huge legislative defeat, the uh, what I call the Build Back a Better Biden uh, bill, you know, the trillion-dollar uh, uh, socialism uh, model monstrosity, you know, built uh, by Bernie Sanders, crashed and burned because of uh, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. So uh, Biden's popularity in the polls are uh, scraping bottom. And uh, it got me thinking about 1975, you know, Nixon left office, uh, Jerry Ford was president. He gave a State of the Union address, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, President Ford is the only president in history to to start off the address by saying uh, the State of the Union is not good, (laughs) because because back then we had stagflation. We had a... um, uh, what they called then the Great Recession, mm-hmm. which which was, of course, the plan. And, and we had uh, wildly increasing prices, primarily driven by uh, Arab uh, oil embargoes. So it was a tough time for uh, President Ford. Uh, uh, Biden is going to have a, a particularly tough time because as this uh, Omicron goes through the population, and, and, you know, let's be real, realistic. The, uh, all the isolation that the experts put us through the first two years of COVID was entirely useless. Uh, you, you can't hide from a virus. So, uh, you know, this current wave might be a blessing in surprise, in, in disguise, because it's a milder form and we may finally get herd immunity. But yeah, just just to comment on that, Jim, uh, I agree with you, and yet I think it has been affected this in this way, and that is that uh, now we have this conditioned fear response that uh, when we have something like this going on, we expect leadership to make demands of us in terms of our behavior, whether it's a shutdown or v- vaccines or whatever it might be, and for many of us tend to want to respond. So there has been a change in the mentality of the American people. Yeah, actually, I think the American people were smarter. I mean, the elderly act more cautiously than the young, uh, and the and the young theoretically are less uh, vulnerable to to the virus. Mm-hmm. So for so for example, you know, uh, uh, in this area, which is much like Florida, I mean, you can go into a store, and hardly anybody is masked, <laughs> but the people who are masked are the elderly. Uh, People, the elderly, tend to shelter in place, uh, but they're not demanding that everybody shelter in place. You know, so it's, you know, I think the American public was rational before our uh, health experts uh, were rational. But having said that, this wave is definitely, two things are going to affect the economy. Uh, This current wave of Omicron, which is already uh, shutting down events across the nation you know it's 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 impacting the entertainment industry uh, uh, locally where i live in lancaster county pennsylvania i see lots of cancellations and we have the post holiday uh, uh layoffs coming 
you know, a, a retail will cut back considerably. So in the uh, months ahead, we will see uh, an item called separations uh, increase dramatically, and it'll drive up the unemployment rate. And this is all going to happen uh, approaching Joe Biden's first birthday in office. So it looks like a very unhappy birthday for Biden. Mm, so interesting. Uh, how would you, I think, uh, the results that he's had, he's, he's hard-pressed to find a, a victory or a win in the last year. What are your thoughts? Uh, two things. He, you know, for a man who's been in office for as many years as he has been, his, his instincts are terrible. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's become a laughingstock uh, on the left and the right. Uh, he um, is getting horrible advice. I mean, if he, if he were a capable chief executive officer, he would uh, purge <laughs> his staff uh, because, because he's, he's still, you know, he, 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 he was a bait-and-switch candidate. He, he promised that he would be a middle-of-the-roader, and as soon as he got into the office, he cut sharply to uh, the left, you know, out there with uh, Bernie Sanders and uh, Elizabeth Warren. So, so he lied to all those independents. This is why his polling numbers are so low. Mm -hmm. um, and this is why people don't take anything that he says uh, with an ounce of seriousness. So uh, he really has to get somebody to truly bring him to the middle. He has to learn not to listen to uh, former President Barack Obama, but maybe listen to uh, former President Bill Clinton, who, after the Republican Revolution, learned something that he called triangulation, which essentially was learning to negotiate a deal between Democrats and Republicans and himself, three parties that was he found satisfactory. I mean, Biden hasn't learned how to compromise. Um, uh, if Biden is going to be a successful president. Uh, the other thing he has to do is jettison his vice president, Kamala Harris, who, who I'm reading now claims that uh, she's being attacked because she's a person of color and a woman, yeah. which, which is patently ridiculous. I mean, she's, she's just a, a, a stupid person. I, I really believe that, that she is dumb just listening to the things that come out of her mouth. Well, she has no street smarts, for sure. And, and I'm wondering, what, what do you think of this collusion, The uh, what's going on with uh, Hillary Clinton and with Kamala? Uh, yeah, I mean, just to talk about one of the sorest losers on earth, Hillary Clinton, who's up to her neck in Russiagate. I mean, I mean, this is just a gift to uh, the conspiracy theorists. It's, you know, it's another... It's another drag on, on Biden's ability to do anything because the public is scared to death that he's not going to make it through. You know, they, they, they think his, his mental health is in question. Mm -hmm. um, you know, every time he coughs, uh, it's, a, it's a headline. And this is in the uh, uh, progressive press, not the right wing press. So people are really frightened that Biden is going to die in office and that Kamala Harris is going to become president with uh, Hillary Clinton as her puppet master. So 
he really has to get rid of Kamala Harris if he is going to have uh, any recovery at all. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, it makes me wonder if perhaps uh, Kamala and uh, Hillary are not colluding with the notion of uh, getting rid of Joe so that uh, Hillary can come become vice president. Of course, I think that would be a real danger to the life expectancy of Kamala, but what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, it brings up uh, humor. I'm, I'm thinking of the Gerald Ford presidency again. Uh, he had a chief of staff called Donald Rumsfeld. Yep. And Rumsfeld, Rumsfeld had a reputation among uh, Jerry Ford's inner circle of being uh, ambitious, just wildly ambitious. And they used to uh, warn uh, Ford, uh, Jerry, uh, you know, when you're waving goodbye as you get on the helicopter, make sure Donald's not standing behind you. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I, I heard that story from uh, uh, the late Bill Seidman. Who, who went on to become chairman of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation when, during the banking crisis and did a stand-up job, but he was a, a member of Jerry Ford's inner circle. So that was that was a, a running joke about uh, watch your back, and I, I think the same sort of humor uh, would dog Kamala Harris if she if she ever named Hillary Clinton. Uh, vice president. So just just say what what is what is the solution to this problem? I hate to get uh, get down in the weeds, but uh, uh, I I agree with you. Uh, uh, Kamala is a complete uh, abject failure in in her role. She is not likable. She doesn't make good decisions. Uh, she seems to she's not very bright. So what's Joe going to do about this? What's the party going to do? Well, he's not going to do anything. That's the thing. And until after the the election, uh, they're in denial. A wave is coming. It's a Republican wave. It might actually expand the ranks of uh, the Make America Great Again contingent. You know, I'm, I'm reading today that the the MAGA people in Congress are are really making an effort to um, to making an effort to um, increase their numbers, um, which I would not like to see. As you know, I'm not a, a Trump supporter. Uh, how, but I don't think the Democrats wake up until uh, the day after the election in the uh, hmm. coming year. Yeah, so, Jim, and you've been vocal about your point of view about Trump, and I, I respect that, don't agree with it. But uh, I would be curious, and uh, his the whole point of view here is make America great again. What's what is the problem that anybody would have with that whole notion, especially when we're seeing how Biden is trying to make America subordinate again? Yeah, uh, nobody has a notion. Uh, the the concept of make America great again. Uh, you don't make America great again by trying to steal an election uh, like Trump did. Uh, you don't make America great again uh, by, um, you know, horrible messaging, uh, you know, in, in the throes of, uh, you know, a racial uh, crisis. Uh, the president and President Trump really didn't have a, a, a temperament suitable for that kind of a domestic uh, crisis. Uh, so the way you make America great again is to. Uh, uh, do what Trump did with the economy, you know, make it strong uh, and make the benefits of that strong economy reach every corner 
yeah. of the workforce. So, I, I mean, Trump did a magnificent job on the economy, on cutting the red tape, on reducing taxes that were a drag on the economy. Um, you know, that's that's what that's what government has to do. I would agree with that. So, so why why is his why are the flaws, the warts and pimples in his personality even relevant when you're talking about the well-being of the country? Well, it's more than a wart and pimple. I think uh, he really did flame the uh, or fan the flames of uh, rebellion, and, and I do hold him responsible for the uh, storming of the uh, Capitol with his rhetoric that the election was stolen. Um, you know, Dave Barry has a wonderful line in his annual review this year about the, you know, the, the, the conspiracy theory promoted by the Trump people about the, the stealing of the election was too complex for the judiciary to understand. But the pillow guy got it uh, right away. So um, I think that's a very funny line because, as we talked about before, the stealing election would take a degree of sophistication that the Democrats don't have. And I, I've covered elections for, for 30 years in the most corrupt state, New Jersey, and uh, I've seen shenanigans in certain counties, but, but even in those counties it wasn't enough yeah, well, 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 we'll see. I think the truth still has to come out on this, and things are just moving so slowly. But we will see, Jim. I think uh, I disagree with your with the premise of your comment, which is Trump t tried to steal the election. I think the election was stolen from him, quite frankly. And it wasn't just that what's happening in the local precincts. I think it had something to do with the uh, uh, technology that was involved with the Dominion machines. Uh, I, again, I, I, I disagree, and I think I, I will be proven right and on the right side of history on this one. Yeah. Uh, uh, but having said that, if the Republicans run Trump again as a candidate, they could be in big trouble. Jim McTagg, again, current uh, former Washington bureau chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries. If you really want to have some great holiday reading, take a look at Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake of the Money Tree by Jim McTagg, M-C capital T-A-G-U-E. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob, and get a Go Camera t-shirt if you really want the Republicans to win in 2022. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had fun. I uh, hope you join us tomorrow. We'll visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Boo Mortensen will be joining us. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and Linda Harden, author of Greetings from Paradise, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>